The history of Star Wars is the history of cinema. For everything you like about Star Wars, there is at least one film that inspired it. And we're going to review them all on Episode Zero. Welcome back to episode zero, the Star Wars podcast where we don't really talk about Star Wars. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic. Everybody calls me Whitney Seibold or on our letters episode, Rockmeister McCool. Rockmeister McCool sounds like someone who could have totally led a Republic serial. Absolutely. Rockmeister McCool in the caves of Mars. it, It would just be like Rock Dan McCool. It wouldn't be Rockmeister. I suppose not. Yeah. Rock M. McCool. Rock M. McCool. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I was gonna about to say he was a football star, but that's already Flash Gordon. Well, we can... <laughs> the, the, the one that we're it's reviewing not, today is already a rip-off of a another Flash one. Gordon, like, yeah, well, true. it's a rip-off of a bunch, actually. Mm. Like, well, they fact, were shameless about ripping each other off. In fact, mm. one of the cars that they use in this one is just flat-out taken from Undersea Kingdom. Without any alteration whatsoever. They just had that thing. Hey, it's the Undersea Kingdom for you and for me, and it's fun. Yeah, we're going right back to the world of uh, old 1930s, 40s, and 50s serials today on Episode Zero. Once again, this is the podcast where we talk about the prehistory of Star Wars. We talk about the various uh, films, and in this case, serials, uh, that inspired Star Wars, or at least elements of Star Wars, to show that Star Wars is kind of an interesting flashpoint in cinema history. And if you look back through Star Wars, using Star Wars as a lens, you can discover a whole lot of really interesting stuff. Our first episode of Episode Zero is one of the most influential uh, uh, pieces of media in Star Wars history. It is, of course, Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. And we talked a bit about how serials work, but we're going back to another one this time. Uh, this one is a bit more notorious. It's been featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, however, it has been greatly influential in popular culture. You will find the seeds of this serial in such classics as The Rocketeer and in the Star Wars prequels because you know that character Commander Cody from Star Wars? <laughs> Get ready to meet Commando Cody in... Radar Men from the Moon! Meet Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. He's the new screen sensation everybody's cheering in Republic's serial thriller, Radar Men from the Moon. When the moon monsters, under the direction of Rettig, ruthless dictator of the moon, scheme to invade the Earth. And have your ray gun set up ready to blast them. This time you must not fail. Yes, Your Excellency. The nations of the world appeal to Commando Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. I love that title, Radar Men from the Moon. Yeah. It's, when people talk about, like, old science fiction in parody, when they talk about how corny 1950s sci-fi was, 
you don't really get it when you watch one of the movies. Maybe you like you watch something like The Crawling Eye. Yeah. But then you sit down and watch something that has like a silly-ish title like The Incredible Shrinking Man, and you realize, wait a minute, this is actually a really re- well-written film. That one these, is, these, yeah. Yeah, then some of these are actually pretty... We watched Tarantula recently. That one's kind of corny, but... Oh, that one's quite bad, actually. Uh, yeah. uh, but... <laughs> But uh, a lot of those science fiction movies are, like, set in small towns. Uh, they use sometimes, you know, bad, but maybe 15% convincing special effects of giant bugs climbing over stuff. It's what they had and there's at a the lot time. Of, and there's a lot of stock footage of the military. And uh, when you see parodies of science fiction, uh, it's usually people in colorful outfits and rocket packs and, mm. you know, going in these, like, cardboard spaceships. And a lot of people haven't necessarily seen the source of those images, and those come straight from Republic. A lot of them do, yeah. yeah. Republic was uh, a, a, a film production company that did a, focused on serials, although many of the their serialized entertainments were later recut and repackaged as individual movies or, in some cases, television series later on. Uh, and once again, in case you missed our earlier episode, uh, back at the dawn of cinema, cinema didn't work the way it did today. Now, obviously, in the silent era, it really didn't work the way it did today. There mm. were many, many years in which feature-length movies were a rarity if they were made at all. And then once sound came along, yeah, things started to get kind of weird. And we started to have multiple features uh, playing in the same movie theater. And in between those features, there would be previews of coming attractions. There would be standalone cartoons. There would be uh, informational videos. There would be, oh, movies. But, uh, and uh, yeah, and there would be serials. And serials were basically like what TV is now. Except you don't release them all at once. <laughs> Back the way, yeah. I'm sorry, it's the way TV was Years ago, <laughs> back when you got a new installment every week or every month, mm. and you would come back to see what happened next because every episode would end on a cliffhanger. That's why we have the term cliffhanger. Someone would end the show hanging mm. from a cliff, and then we would find out how they got out of this one next week, and you had to pay for mm. your ticket, and that's how we brought everyone back. So many terms we get from old ways. We don't watch movies anymore. Yeah, trailers. They used to trail the movie. That's why they were called trailers. A picture, B picture. There was an A feature, the big studio film, a few shorts, a few trailers, a few serials, and then there was the cheaper film that they just try to keep you in the theater for. Yep. That was the B feature, usually a lot cheaper. We still use that term. Yep, all of these things are, are, are still in progress. And uh, yeah, George Lucas took a lot of inspiration from a lot of these. They took a lot of inspiration from the extremely like run and gun uh, pacing of these kinds of movies. The way that they would just sort of jump from action sequence to action sequence, and kind of doesn't even yeah. matter how you get to them. You just got to get to something new and crazy in about ten fifteen minutes. The fun thing about these, first of all, it's kind of hard to mainline these things because you lose the plot, and you realize you didn't lose the plot. There actually wasn't much to begin with. Very little. Yeah, or, or it becomes so convoluted. Like they just introduce plot points real, real fast in one episode and then they don't ever call back to them. So you don't necessarily know who characters are three episodes down the line anymore. But that's also very in keeping with Star Wars. The majority of the Star Wars movies begin in the middle of some big action mm-hmm. thing or in the middle of some big plot point. And the implication is, well, if you tuned in last week, you would know where, mm-hmm. why we're here right now. And, and indeed, when The Empire Strikes Back came out, that's when they decided to rebrand Star Wars. Mm-hmm. As episode four. Yep. Uh, it wasn't originally released as episode four. It was just Star Wars. Yep. And uh, so the whole idea being, you know, you see, you're sitting down for the second movie. Oh boy, a sequel to Star Wars. And it says episode five. 
all of a sudden you're really kind of baffled. Wait a minute, episode five? I did thought we missed we, uh, episodes two through four? And in a way you kind of did because the, idea, the story yeah. of Star Wars continued between movies. It, uh, It's not like, and this is actually one of the things that I think people got a little messed up about when The Last Jedi came out. Mm-hmm. People were just like, oh man, I wish that we'd had a t- chance for all of these characters we liked to sort of be in the same room together and like hang out together and like build character. And I'm like, yeah, J.J. Uh, Abrams didn't end the movie that way. He ended the movie on, I'm handing you something and the next movie literally has to begin with someone taking, taking that, that thing, thing up. Yeah. So the movie has to be this really breakneck, fast-paced thing with every character just taking up exactly where we left off. The other Star Wars movies don't work like that, and they mm-hmm. all have like this period of time between films in which character development took place. You'll notice that Luke went from being like a Jedi in training to a Jedi in Return of the Jedi off camera. He did a lot of apparently a lot of cool stuff in between there. Got a new cool black outfit. Mm-hmm. Got a new lightsaber and shit. So, how much time takes place in between those two movies? The you know, I've, I've heard. Of the Jedi. Here's the damn thing. I've heard a while. I've heard as much as a year. I can look this up in a second. But mm. the thing that drives me nuts about that is, and this is one of the ones where the sequels kind of fuck it up. Mm. Uh, in uh, uh, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, they say we're going to go look for Han. Mm. Okay, that's cool. In Return of the Jedi, they find Han on Luke's home planet. Okay, bit of a convenience, mm. bit of a coincidence that Jabba the Hutt happened to be there. I assume he has a summer home. <laughs> on on uh, on Tatooine, it's all summer there. But anyway, well, in, in a deleted scene from the first Star Wars, mm-hmm. there was Jabba was already on that planet. That's true. And the thing that really like cemented it as that's kind of a plot hole is uh, in the Phantom Menace. You realize that that's basically the Hut's planet. Mm-hmm. Like the Huts just They're run a lot of shit it, there. Yeah. So Luke would have known where Jabba the Hut was, <laughs> and he could have just said, "Okay, let's go to let's go to Tatooine." I've been there. We can get there in a couple hours. Like, we'd be done. Like, there's no reason. But because it ends in this sort of flying off into the distance thing, as opposed to uh, we're about to knock on Jabba's palace and the next episode has to begin with that yeah. them opening the door. Yeah, we, we have, like, this buffer zone and you can take some... Well, I'd, yeah. I've, I've always taken a little bit of issue. It's not a huge problem uh, mm. with the numbering system on Star Wars and mm. not because you know, the first Star Wars movie is the fourth episode. I think... If you're going to uh, call Return of the Jedi or The Empire Strikes Back Episode Mm 5, why not call Star Wars Episode 2? Yeah. And have like a few missing episodes in between because clearly what uh, George Lucas was trying to do in that numbering system Mm -hmm. was emulate the experience of what you did when you were seeing a lot of these serials as a kid. That is, you don't know what chapter you're getting and you're probably picking up in the middle of a long run of these episodes. So the first episode you might see would be episode four. And there would be a bit of a title crawl just Mm -hmm. telling you like, here's basically who the characters are and what you missed. And then we're just going to jump right in. And indeed, episode four opens the same way with mm-hmm. the Tantive Four being chased after yeah, so uh, the, by the Empire, which we only find out what happened there when we finally get to Rogue One and we got to see mm-hmm. how that chase began, which I have issues with. We talked about it before, but well, it, regardless, but it, it's, 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 in, it's, 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 it, uh, it drops you into the middle of action, yeah. which is very exciting. Well, and the problem is, and there's this now... A, a very obsessive need among uh, the, the fans of Star Wars to fill in every little gap. A sure. lot of people are talking about what uh, what what can, what can we do with an Obi Wan Kenobi feature film? That's been what's in the news recently. I think you're talking about TV series, but yeah. or well, TV series. Just we we need to catch up with that character for some reason. Yeah, we've seen him from a young man up to his death. We have his story. <laughs> what are we going to fill in? We don't need to fill in these gaps. The whole point 
of Star Wars was to have the gaps. Yeah, I know. To feel to have that experience of being caught up in this like extemporaneous thing yeah. that is just sort of being made up as you go. My favorite thing about Star Wars is when it moves and in fact leaps forward, mm. not when it goes back and tries yeah, to yeah, sort yeah. of justify itself. I'm like, just keep going, man. If something doesn't mm. work, just keep going forward. Because that's what these serials yeah. did. There was yeah. a lot of plot inconsistencies. It was all about the body. action. Oh yeah, and this uh, and the one we're talking about this week is pretty it's not as crazy in terms of plotting it's just weird and like well, it's, it's weird oddly and dissatisfying and really cheap even for a republic serial this thing was cheap oh, and yeah. republic serials were all incredibly cheap now if you haven't seen any republic serials it's something i highly recommend everybody ought to see at least a couple of these things because these people defined what B movies looked like for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they produced most of the serials, you know, and some higher profile features, like in the in the fifties. I think they did like a couple John Wayne movies. Did they? Okay. Uh, I think Rio Bravo is Republic film. Was it? But I'd have, have to, to look. That I'd have up. to look that up. Or not Rio Bravo. One of the other ones with a title like Rio Bravo that also has John Rio Wayne. Rio Lobo. Rio Lobo or, or El Dorado. One of those. Uh. But yeah, Republic serials were all made on a budget. They were all shot on the fly. Uh, the director of Radar Men from the Moon, uh, let me look up his name. Uh, his name was, uh, gosh, what a, why am I having trouble finding it? Fred, Fred, C, Fred C. Bannon. No. Uh, Fred, if you look up Fred C. Bannon's uh, filmography, it's like you look up the year 1949, he directed seven of these serials. Yeah. Uh, he, the, these things were just churned out and churned out and churned out. They had the same sets. They had the same locations out in the California desert. They had the same cheap, stupid-looking costumes, and they just had to kind of come up with stuff as quickly as they could. Yep. Um, they would put Hanna-Barbera to shame in terms of their <laughs> sloppy writing and speed of production. Right. And uh, But there's a, as, but there's a whirligig sort of extempore to that, which well, is very infectious. There, there's a wonderful charm to that, in fact. Uh, like, how can we get to these just silly ideas? And what are some fun things that a kid might like? So uh, Radar Men from the Moon has a really uh, silly uh, idea, and you think it's all going to be, oh, it's going to take place in space, and there's going to be a bunch of rocket ships, and there's going to be, like, ray guns. And it turns out some of those things are in there, but it's mostly on Earth in the desert. Oh, yeah. And or, it's mostly... or, or sometimes, like, there's a few scenes on the moon on a set, Look, here's, and that's here's, it. Here's, here's the basic premise of Radar Men from the Moon. Okay, so there's a guy named Commando Cody. Mm. Commando Cody works at an office and occasionally puts on a rocketeer suit. And this he, is before the wor- rocketeer was a thing. He's working on uh, two things. A ship that can take you to the moon real fast. Yep. And a rocket pack. Yeah, the rocket pack's already built. It's uh, It's a lot like the rocketeer. You put on this cool coat and it's got a cool rocket pack at the end and he puts on a helmet that looks like a bullet and I love that like the face on his rocketeer helmet because you know the rocketeer the face looks really cool Mm. it does it in Commando Cody it looks like a sad (laughs) scared ghost Like a ghost is like sad, but he's surprised by how sad he is. It, like you know that's what, what, you know it, what looks it, lo- like. it looks like. A rocketeer cereal marshmallow. Yeah, like, like if they made a rocketeer cereal, it, it just has this kind of mutant face. But yeah. that helmet has sort of leaked its way into popular consciousness in a, a really effective way because a lot of these Republic cereals fell into the public domain a long time ago, including this one. And uh, as such, you might. If if you're about our age and you had a TV with UHF stations, mm-hmm. and I don't want to go into what UHF stations are right now, but you could turn into the ultra high frequency stations on your old ca- black and white cathode ray tube uh, TV and tune into a lot of stations that did nothing but public domain movies. Yep, I saw a lot of those when mm-hmm. I was a kid. So I saw some of these things on TV alongside like Gamera movies and Luchador <laughs> films. I love hearing Whitney say TV because he puts the emphasis on the T. 
not everyone does, and it just makes you gives it fills me with absolute joy. TV, TV, yeah, Tele- television, yeah, that's what it stands for. Television, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but anyway, so the plot is Commander Cody is this guy, and uh, there it turns out that there are people on the moon, and the moon is attacking our planet. Mm. Now, again, if you want to say to yourselves, oh, how does this connect to Star Wars? There's a moon with guns on it. <laughs> and gonna, it's attacking a planet. And it makes planets blow up with its space ray. Yeah, it's so, kind of a thing. So, so George Lucas had probably seen radar men from the moon and thought, well, they, their ray isn't strong enough. I'll make my moon have a death-killing ray. So the moon It'll be a is, death moon. No, that's dumb. Death star. The moon is attacking Earth, and Commander Cody's got to stop it. How is he going to stop it? Well, it turns out that the moon men have sent, like, a splinter cell or something to Earth. Earth, consisting of one guy in a cave with a bunch of like electro tubes, <laughs> and that guy has employed two gangsters, just like two Earth, Earth gangs, like forties style, yeah, fedora wearing, suit wearing gangster. And guys. he's he's finding all the information they need about how to how to uh, uh, destroy the Earth, and he's gonna uh, you know do a whole bunch of bad stuff and blow up volcanoes and things like that. But first, and this is the majority of the serial. They got to make Earth money. So he enlists the gangsters to pull a series of boring heists. They're like rob payrolls nah. and banks. And there's a lot of like car chases out in like, like the tw- desert north like of Los Angeles. 12, 13 minute episodes yeah. in this entire serial. And I would say about half of it uh-huh. is car chases in the desert and fist fights with guys wherever we can, often in the same place. One of the first action sequences, they're in Commando Cody's lab, and there's a fist fight between Commando Cody, his buddy Ted, who's just Ted, and uh, Joan, who is a woman who I guess works with Commando Cody, who has nothing to do the entire time. She's not even like the love interest, which I put in air quotes, because yeah. at the very well, least that would be like about her having an emotional connection to somebody. She's literally just there. She's a, a contract player, I guess. I um, guess, but like they give nothing for her to do. She gets to yeah. jump out of a plane once, and of course it's stock footage, but like that's it. Joan is played by an actress named Aline Town. Commander Cody is played by George Wallace. Could have just called him George Wallace. Yeah. And uh and Ted. <laughs> just Ted. Ted is played by William Bakewell. Yeah. And uh, so they get enlisted by the government because the government does, I, I guess everyone else is busy at the government today, mm. uh, to uh, stop the moon men. And I'm like, can we put more than like three people on this? This seems like kind of a big deal. They, I don't understand where Republic's thinking came in because for, yeah, they have radar men from the moon. It's all on Earth. It's mm. all like, tr- we're going to blow up a, a bridge and a truck might fall down a ravine. It's like, aren't aren't there like death rays coming from the moon in this thing? Isn't that kind aren't of there big... higher stakes than if a aren't, truck falls into a ravine? Aren't they supposed to be radar men? Shouldn't radar have something to do with anything? <laughs> like radar, by the way, I've seen several like movies and serials and things in which radar, the word radar, mm. was used the way that like Stan Lee would use gamma yeah. rays and yeah. stuff like that. Where it's just like, oh, is it science-y? It must be radar. <laughs> oh no, we'll use our radar machines to find out where the bad guys are. And I'm like, can you do that with radar? They're just in a car somewhere. I don't know if that's what radar was designed for. But radar is just this generic science word. 
yeah. that they used to describe them. That way you know they're not just regular men from the moon. Because then it wouldn't be interesting. But radar men. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to see a movie called Regular Men from the Moon? Why not? <laughs> I was trying to find... I can't find the title of it, but there is another uh, Republic serial, which is about, like, insurance investigators. That sounds awesome. And, and the entire serial is about how they have to, like, set up this really elaborate sting on some sort of, like, illegal trucking operation. I love this. And it's just about staking out, like, old abandoned highways in the middle of nowhere. It feels like an industrial, like, classroom film. Yeah. Just a bunch of guys looking well, at roads. And, and again, we're supposed to get thrilled by this. And again, this is super duper cheap. So you'll find that, like, the outside of Commando Cody's office is literally just the production building from Republic. It it's looks... A, it's a shot of a postcard of the production building. Yeah, and, like, literally, there's, like, a postcard that says, like, Commando Cody on it, and they just put it outside the doorbell, and then it's just any mm. office building you've ever seen. Yeah. It's... And there's something actually kind of fascinating about that, I think, because typically, when we think about science fiction, and I think Star Wars does this a lot, I think Star Wars makes an effort, at least in the better ones, to try to bring sci-fi down a bit, make things feel used... Yeah. It can feel like a real living space, for example. But there's still this tendency to make every fantastical sci-fi fantasy thing look grand, mm. look huge, look epic. Well, it's unusual, isn't yeah. it? Well, it's it, what it, your eye is going to be drawn to, so you may as well make it look yeah. good. And again, there's an element of escapism there. There's an element of grandeur you're going for. It can be really, really fun. But I actually find it very charming to think that like we're going to come up with rocket suits and ships that fly to the moon. And it will be boring as fuck, and we can't even get like more than three people interested in working here. Like it's just going to become that mundane. And like again, I remind you, earlier this year, the United States government admitted that UFOs were real, and we're not talking about it anymore. <laughs> we're done. Like everything becomes humdrum once it becomes real. Like we have in our pockets right now, we have computers. More powerful than all of the computers they use to send people to the moon combined. You have that in your pocket. You can do that all on, all on an iPad now. Yep. That's incredible. All of like the entire wealth of human information is available in your hand probably right now. And we do it to look at lists. You're dude, you're <laughs> listening to a podcast. We're we're recording a podcast. This is magic stuff. But in any case, so we've got all of these like we got like people on the moon shooting ray guns at us. Mm. And like the first two of like the first three action sequences is a fist fight in Commando Cody's lab. Was, Not well, one fist fight in I'll Commando you, Cody's lab and then a fist fight somewhere else. They're both in the same lab. The second one is is extraneous, but you okay, I understand you want to start kind of small. You don't want the biggest action sequence right up front. I know some movies have that philosophy. It's like you gotta just open the movie with a twenty second, twenty minute action sequence, yeah. just to set the tone. This James is be, Bond you know, will do that. Exactly. Mission Impossible does that nowadays. That kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I understand. Okay, there's some sort of secret. We've uncovered something, and it's bad enough to get in a fist fight over. And it's a good intro into the mystery. And by the end of the first chapter, you realize, oh wait a minute, the mystery is bigger than we ever thought. That's not just TV thinking. That's episodic thinking, and that's the way these things ought to have operated. The thing is, they didn't think like that. Mm. They thought of scenarios and actions. Who can we get to throw a punch and go? Like, yeah. go out into the desert and start filming. You know, have it on, have it on my desk at the end of the day, essentially. Right. Well, and that's something, actually, we, we need to remember when we think about action movies mm. from before, well, a few of the key sort of uh, flashpoints mm. in action movie history. 
action movies didn't used to look like action movies do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were always action movies. There were always movies about people fighting and shooting at each other, but they weren't staged the way they are now. They weren't choreographed as elaborately. Uh, there were some swashbucklers, but even then, you compare, so for example... Um, the sword fight in something like Captain Blood, which is very fun and exciting, to the incredibly elaborate jumping around acrobatic sword fight at the end of Phantom Menace, Mm -hmm. you can see how the genre has evolved in terms of how it portrays action. So at this point in the action movie cycle, yeah, Republic wasn't throwing as much money behind it as other big studios, but you were getting kind of the same stuff. There were still lots of fist fights that were shot from like a distance and a couple of close-ups and I do love, and you can. This is also a big influence, I think, at least this kind of movie, on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, because you'll notice all of the punches that are thrown in Radar Men from the Moon are Indiana Jones punches. You reel all the way back, <laughs> and then you slam someone in the jaw, and then your fist goes all the way like down again, like in a comic book, and then the guy reels his way and like falls over a table, and then his hat doesn't fall off. That's totally an Indiana but Jones it, thing. But he bangs against a big machine and a big puff of smoke comes out from under it. Yeah, that's totally yeah. the way Indiana uh, Jones portrayed action. Everyone's like, oh my god, this is so amazing. And I'm like, yeah, it's just what they did before, but they have better camera angles and sound design. It's the same punching. It's the same punching and somewhere along the way. And I'm not I'm not considering stuff like Seven Samurai, mm. which is you know an action picture, but it's more of a character piece. Right, but it did change uh, the way action movies were shot. It changed the way shot I, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and a, a lot of the reason people like to cite the Seven Samurai is because, oh, we, we like to see the Seven Samurai get into action because we care about the characters. We actually spent two and a half hours mm-hmm. with the characters before they even start fighting in earnest. Yep. So by the time they actually do start fighting, we are wrapped up in their own personal stakes. We understand what's going on here. And that's how a lot of action and movies used to be. It wasn't wall-to-wall action. Yeah. You built up to action. And Republic serials don't give a shit about that. They're not going to set up any kind of character. It, it, is he white and wearing a suit? Good, he's our hero. <laughs> that's all we got, really. Uh, one, of, one of the bad guys was played by the Lone Ranger uh, in this one. Well, um, go on to play the Lone Ranger. Go on to play, yeah, the Lone Ranger in the movies. And I feel like we've tried to... Clayton Moore, by the way. Clayton Moore is the actor, that's right. Uh, We tried to, at some point along the way in the evolution of action cinema, try to have the wall-to-wall action, but now we're using a kind of emotional shorthand to get us to care about the characters. Yeah. So we're having little scenes where we're setting up some smaller emotional stakes but they're being shot really melodramatically. Mm -hmm. So it'll feel like there actually are stakes by the time we get to 30 minutes of ball shrinking action. Well, that's the idea. Uh, Wait, that's a hell of a turn of phrase. Um, I feel like that's what we're going for. But the thing is, is that you actually do need to have some connection to the characters in order to follow them for extended periods of time. There's a reason why Republic serials mm -hmm. were 12 minutes long. Well, and also, I, I don't think that's necessarily true for a good action sequence. Well... I could watch a portion of The Raid out of context, not knowing who any of those characters are or where they're going, mm-hmm. and still enjoy the raw choreography of it. Okay, but that's raw choreography. Mm-hmm. I think when you're looking at an action sequence, you're looking mm-hmm. at it as part of a richer tapestry of the whole film. So there's a lot of really mm-hmm. cool action sequences in very bad movies. Yeah. And is it still a good action sequence? Well, technically, but do I care as much as I would if I 
was invested in the characters? No, mm-hmm. not necessarily as much. And I think you're going to look at this when you look at something like, um, well, actually, Rise of Skywalker is a perfect example, where you look at like some of the slightly slower-paced Star Wars mm-hmm. movies, which isn't to say they're, they're slow-paced, but like Rise of Skywalker just races from one thing to the next. And I think it's actually got... I don't think J.J. Abrams has got a good handle on it, but it's got that brisk Republic serial just bound from place to place, adventure to adventure, genre to genre sometimes. Mm. Um, but you look at like how The Force Awakens, which I think handles the structure better, gives you character beats and interactions and mm-hmm. actually like really savors the conversations and the dialogue more so that when all of a sudden we're on a ship and, hey, Han Solo is here and we just accidentally released a giant tentacle beast... The tentacle beast means nothing. The tentacle beast is just fun. Mm. But we now know who Rey and Finn are, and we give a shit about them. And we already know who Han Solo is, so we give a shit about him. So the tentacle beast matters to us because we like those characters. When it comes to Commando Cody, all we care about is that the action is cool. The movies are too briskly paced and too short for us to really even develop too much of an emotional investment Mm. anyway. And I think when you're doing it in 12-minute chunks like that, and you only see 12 minutes at a time, you can get away with that. I think when you put it in Star Wars, and you do something like... I think the two sort of uh, most severe offenders of this in Star Wars are the Phantom Menace, Mm. which barrels along so quick, especially in the first half, that you the movie doesn't slow down until you meet Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Like you don't get to know any of these characters until Anakin Skywalker. And Rise of Skywalker, I don't think ever really gets there. It's just hoping by this point you've grandfathered in and care now because mm-hmm. we're just moving so fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think this kind of fast pace, you can get away with it, but if you want people to care, as the Star Wars movies do, you have to use it in moderation. I I'm curious. If uh we were to quibby Star Wars if we were to chop up the first Star Wars movie, like how long? It's about two hours, right? I think it's like two and a half, two, actually. It's, it's, it's not quite that long. It's, no. it's like 122 minutes or something. I'll, I'll check it out. If you were to sever that into 12 episodes, would it... I know that like the cliffhanger element wouldn't be there because there isn't a cliffhanger every 12 minutes in that movie. Not specifically, but, but it moves pretty fast. But it, it, it is what, what they call a picaresque narrative. There's little tiny stories throughout. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, we, we shift focus... It's two hours and one minute. Yeah, there you go. It's okay. it's about two hours. So, could you enjoy Star Wars in the same way if it had been cut up like Radar Men well, from the Moon? Star Wars is not episode four. Star Wars is episode you know four through sixteen. Right. Okay. Well, let's think about mm. what like let, let's go through because you're familiar yeah. with Star Wars. Yeah. So let's, let's think about what where the cuts mm. would be. So we we start we, with the, the the robots are fleeing. Princess Leia sends them, and they crash land mm. on a planet. End episode one. Uh, yeah. Or they're flying mm. away from the ship, and that's end episode one. Yeah. Episode two. Uh, they're, they're lost in the desert and they're kidnapped by the, the, the those little guys in the hoods. I think you gotta meet Luke first. You think I so? Think, yeah, I think that one, I think it's stronger if, like, you try to get from that point to uh, when they're attacked by the Tusken Raiders. Mm. And then the big cliffhanger is, oh no, we're attacked by Tusken Raiders, and then the next episode begins with Obi-Wan saving them. Okay, yeah. And then, yeah. and then the, so that one might be a little longer than it needs to be. And then the next one, you could cut it off when they're attacked by Jawas, but it happens pretty fast. Well, but then episode three, we're introduced to Luke and his plight. Uh-huh. And then uh, and then at the end of that chapter is when they're attacked. Uh, at the end of that chapter, yeah, well, in case, the next one would be, uh, would have to end with, uh, we meet Obi-Wan Kenobi, he mm. saves them, he learns all about the Force, and then the big cliffhanger is Uncle Owen and Amperu died. Uh, the, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it's another short one. And, but and we also learned that, that this Darth Vader character killed his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All bit of, bit of 
bit of a plot right there. Mm. Huge plot point right there. Next one, uh, they go to Mos Eisley Cantina, and it ends with them getting in the Millennium Falcon and flying yeah, and we, away. Yeah, we meet Han Solo. See, people we're, are shooting at. I, I think these are good miniature episodes. Yeah. I, I think like there's not a lot of action necessarily in like the episode where they're, the parents get killed, but the stakes are being raised. Yeah, the right? stakes yeah. are really, really huge, and that really counts. Mm. So like, And because by this point we're giving a little more attention to the character, we're really getting like to feel something when Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru die. Mm. Um, and in fact, that one actually might benefit from taking place like you get each episode like week or month apart because it really takes a sting off of how like later in the day Obi-Wan dies and Luke cares where, way more about Obi-Wan dying than he did about Uncle Owen and Amperu, which has always been a bit of a thing that never quite rang true right, to me. The people... We don't know how he, because we don't spend a whole lot of time, we don't know if he, like, loved those people. Maybe they were horrible and abusive. I don't think they were horrible and abusive. I think that probably no. would come across a little bit more but if that were the maybe case. So. He said he's a resentful teenager who wants to I go know, off into the world, but I know he would still be sad when they died. And of course, he is sad, but I think he'd be more devastated. I know Luke Skywalker's species ages really quickly, like, more quickly than humans, because we saw uh, the Owen and Brew characters at the end of the prequels, right? Yeah, and there were like young- Joel Edgerton and someone else. And uh, yeah, I, I, Bonnie Bonnie Peace is the actress's name. I don't know why I have that in my brain, That's a but yeah, sp- wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I know those those two uh, like when we caught up with them only like 19 years later, somehow they had aged like 50 years. Because they were much, much older. Wow, Bonnie Peace. Good Yeah, good <laughs> I don't know why that's in my brain. I <laughs> that's could, a very specific Star Wars poll. I can't remember <laughs> names of my own family, but... <laughs> remember Bonnie Peace's name. If I ever meet Bonnie Peace, I'll just say, Hey, I'm, yours is going to be the last name I remember when I die. <laughs> yours is going to stick around in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think... I think having a little bit of space in between the episodes will allow it to sink in. It'll allow the narrative to sort of grow and foment. I think a lot of filmmakers would benefit from that because filmmaking takes such a long time. Mm. The filmmakers live with these characters for so much longer than an audience does over the course of their first watching. Anyway, I know people watch Star Wars hundreds of times that I think the, the, the filmmakers start to take for granted things they know about the characters backstory scenes like they probably spent so long working on one scene that when it's finally on film it feels like a flash yeah so i think yeah having these little gaps throughout star wars could only uh deepen the drama well and that's actually and, the, and i'm only talking about the first film here not necessarily yeah. all the movies but a lot of them could work that yeah way. by the time we get to rise of skywalker that i think could, that would also benefit from being chopped up rise of skywalker would def i think it would definitely work better in 10 minute chunks i yeah. totally agree um i think it's interesting um no, I don't. What do I? What was I going to say? <laughs> well, my point is, my point is, Quibi should buy the rights to Star That's Wars. That's what I was going to say. You're, this is just your love affair with Quibi. That's what I was going to say. You're just in love with Quibi right now. Whitney, if you haven't heard, we did a we did a review of a Quibi movie on our latest episode of Critically Acclaimed. It's uh, called Dummy, and uh, Whitney is all in on Quibi now that it's failing. Like he's super yeah, interested in it now, now that it's just diving down the drain as quickly as it possibly can. That's but, that's what I'm interested but in. But I'm actually really fascinated in how cyclical a lot of media is, mm-hmm. and how like we went from. Like saying like, oh, cable sucks. Why don't we just have like a couple of streaming channels and then we're great. And now we have like 80 streaming channels that we all have to pay different amounts for. And now it adds up to about as much as cable. 
Yeah. Well, no, the, the price hasn't changed. Well, what I appreciate is that uh, one something I always wanted in the cable TV era and something I never wanted to pay because I don't want to pay for a whole cable package. Yeah. I don't want all the stations. I wanted like maybe three channels. Yeah. I want like now, Comedy Central, yeah. Turner Classic Movies, yeah, IFC, CNN, and that's it. Yeah. Sci-Fi. Con- yeah. Like four now, or five. I've, you know I've been what? happy. Now you can do that. It's yeah. finally piecemeal. The problem is the price has been jacked up on all of those stations. Mm-hmm. Paying piecemeal for just the stations you want costs as much as an old cable package. Yep. And if you want all all of them, you're paying even more, right? We're, and we're and it's and and on top of that, now like someone like Quippy is like saying, "Hey, what if we go back to serialization like Republic used to do?" Mm. And like, weird how everything is new again. Like everything yeah, old yeah. is new again, and it's fun. But anyway, but um, it, it, as long as we're here, as long as as long as we're f- staring down the cultural juggernaut that is Quibi, we may as well <laughs> put put like well-known feature films that would play better as these picaresque narratives in there. And I think most gigantic, uh, like, special effects-driven blockbusters of the modern era can fit into that mold because they are so action-driven. Yep. Every ten minutes, gotta have something exciting happen. Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, a lot of horror movies would work that same way as well. Uh, horror the more movies. eventful ones, like slashers. Yeah, I was about to say, like, like a, a good, like a... a like a, a spook em up haunted house picture. Yeah, like a but, slow uh, burn like The Shining mm. probably wouldn't work that yeah, way. But like, you could do The Evil Dead. Like I just way. watched Mandy. Mandy isn't going to be cut up into 10 minute chunks. I'm not interested in that. But yeah, yeah. If, if you want to show something like Annabelle Comes Home, yeah. that might work just fine. But, and, and I think the Marvel superheroes, I mean, they came from this format. That's true. You could just put them right back in and they'd fit perfectly. Yeah, but you know what doesn't really work hmm. with that sort of serialized format? Hmm. Radar Man from the Moon. <laughs> it's actually like I'm gonna just. We need to talk about this actual serial because we've got enough. Right. We usually we try to save the big tangents for the end of the episode on these, but we just got. Well, I mean, there's unfortunately it, so little to say. It's about really this. kind of fascinating how unfascinating Radar Man from the Moon is. So mm-hmm. you've got the Rocketeer as the lead. That's cool in and of itself, and I actually do like the way the lo-fi way. And actually, a lot of these like Rocketeer sequences. I'm just gonna call them that. Um, are actually. Not from Commando Cody. They're reusing footage from a previous Rocket Man serial that they did, and uh, they reuse a lot of footage from. Uh, I think they did the um, one for uh, Captain Marvel back when Shazam was called Captain Marvel. So they have this whole melting uh, mountain thing. That's all from Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, they're reusing a lot of footage, and uh, so yeah, so uh, they they say, "Hey, Commando Cody, would you mind looking into this uh, Moon Man thing?" And Commando Cody's like, "Okay, I'll have a couple of fist fights on Earth." And there'll be a bank robbery, and I'll try to stop the bank robbery. But then screw it. We're going to get in our rocket ship and fly to the moon. I love old rocket ships in 1950s movies because they didn't think out anything. They have rolling chairs. (laughs) (laughs) They have rolling chairs in their rocket ship. Okay, clearly they're very confident about their artificial gravity. Later on, when they get to the moon, they they go to the moon twice in this serial. Once and then again to steal something. But the second time they go to the moon... Uh, Commander Cody like knocks out a Moon Man and takes him back to the to the ship, and they've interrogated him, and he's eating dinner on a table they have with a tablecloth and like fine china. They brought that <laughs> stuff to the moon with them. Yeah, because you're gonna have to have lunch <laughs> on <laughs> so, nice china. Yeah, on a nice tablecloth and like a place setting, and there's this weird hilarious bit when they're like gonna leave the moon and this guy's like okay cool so you're gonna leave me here on the moon right no we're taking you with us I'm like oh, i don't want to go with you go to your room and he leaves because he has a room on the ship not a jail cell mm. not like something where where he's tied up they just gave him quarters and i think that's hilarious that they thought that would be a thing mm. um so they go to the moon the moon is weird because oh, the moon it- men can't breathe there 
Looks like Mojave. Well, of course, it looks like it looks like a desert because that's where they shot it all. But the Moon Man can't breathe on the moon. So they, they somehow they went there and just stayed there and built a, a base. They talk about how the atmosphere is like getting hard to live in, but I'm just like, why were you here in the first place if you can't <gasps> breathe here? They ruined the atmosphere. Isn't that what happened in Inhumans? I think it's what happened in Spaceballs. Well, that's true. <laughs> Um, they used up all their own air, so they have to steal it from another planet. Mega made. Um, so they so they go to the moon, and of course they land right next to uh, the leader of the moon's house. And of course they take him right to the leader of the moon because that's Ret- how Retic is the leader's yeah. name. This evil guy named Retic, who of course lives in a lab that probably reuses a lot of the same props from the previous lab. And there's a big fist fight in that lab. Mm. There's like eight fist fights in labs in 12 episodes of this. And two fist I, fights in a small town cafe. I, <laughs> I would love to get one of the old props from one of these old labs. It's like a big black box. It looks like a locker. It's yeah. got some lights like down near your shins and like a little opening. Yeah. And a lot of di- dials right above your head. There's nothing right at eye level for whatever reason. Yeah, no, nowhere we and would actually like be convenient for you. And there's a bunch of wires coming out of the top and maybe like some glass tubing. And whenever anybody came into my apartment, I'd just say, don't, don't touch that. Don't touch it. <laughs> it's like, oh, what's this? No, 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 no. <laughs> you nearly ended the world. <laughs> and if you think that, about it. Because that's what the death machines looked like in these old series. Well, and if you think about it, that's something that Star Wars still did. Look at the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and tell me what all but like three of those buttons do. Look, at least they tried to make it look like a modern-day airplane. Like, it's yeah. a massively complicated machine. And yeah. When we constantly see uh, Han Solo and, and, and Chewbacca, and Chewbacca uh, they're constantly reaching around and t- turning dials and flipping switches. And you get the sense that this is actually a complicated machine to operate. I'm right. not sure if Harrison Ford had in his mind... Like what each of these switches did, like he actually figured out a system for how to, to how to operate the I know Millennium that, Falcon. But I know that in the future, people paid attention and tried to make sure that, like in the new movies, they're hitting the same buttons to do the same thing. They're like so. imitating the same body well, movements. Yeah. However, there are some vestigial elements of incredibly impractical production design, and there's a really good one that I never quite. When I saw Star Wars, the original Star Wars, there's something that always bugged me. I could never put my finger on it, and then finally, when Family Guy did a parody of Star Wars. They called it out, and I'm like, yes, thank you. Because there's a bit where they turn on the Death Star, and it fires at... Um, Alderaan. Alderaan. Mm. And uh, we, we see people, like, you know, hitting diodes and pulling levers, and then the laser goes through this giant corridor, and there are two guys standing on a really tall platform, mm. and they're just, like, 20 feet above the ground, and there's no railing. They're just sitting there in midair on like a podium. And then, okay. so when Family Guy did this and they turned on the everything, and then we just cut to those two guys. Okay, so I told uh, I told my superior officer that, like, listen, I don't want health care. I don't want a raise. I just want a railing. <laughs> One railing. This is not safe. <laughs> because it, it, it's it, a it weird goes, design. It doesn't make any sense. It, it all goes to, well, I, I understand the, that design. First of all, it looks like stark and cool, but yeah. at, at the second time, uh, on the other hand, it's also. It speaks to the arrogance of the Empire, doesn't mm. it? They're yeah. so confident they don't need railings. <laughs> Not kidding. I just want I just want a picture of like one of the guys on that podium on a shirt. Mm. So I'm so confident I don't need railings. Like <laughs> I would buy that Star Wars shirt. The Empire. Fuck railings. <laughs> uh 
Yeah, or, or, a, or a scene. It's like, well, and, you know, this is a kind of a precarious, so we're going to have, here's some designs for, like, railings. How high do you want them? Do you want them to be, uh, do you want one railing, or, or do you want, uh, like, them to move or mm. modular in some way? No, no railings. Well, people are going to fall. No, well, if they fall, they fall. <laughs> well, they're go- people are going to die. Fuck them. You know, we're, we're the Empire. <laughs> Kill our own men. Why not? Anyway, can well, I... In fact, of- doesn't Darth Vader just, like, personally murder a bunch of generals yeah. in The Empire Strikes Back? And it's not really, um... Yeah. What are you going to do? Complain to HR? Like, it's not yeah, really, like... Couldn't he, he kill somebody via, like, view screen? Like, he looks yeah. at a TV and kills him through the TV? Yeah, the, the guy's, TV? like, choked to death through a TV. It's really... <laughs> How the hell is, does he do that? I don't know, man, but I really hope that's not an additional feature on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> you just stare really hard at your laptop camera and kill people. Anyway, Commander Cody goes to the moon and finds out the moon men want to hurt the Earth. And he's like, oh, no! And he comes back to Earth and he's got to stop the guy uh, from making money. So the guy's... <laughs> Rob some more stuff, and at one point they kidnap Joan, and they're in an airplane. And Commando Cody is like, "Oh right, he has a jetpack, mm. so he can get to us." So he saves Joan, and I love that. Like he, she like drops to Earth in like a parachute. Commando Cody is just like, "Are you okay, Joan?" And Joan says, "I'm fine." It's like, "Well, you need me to take you back to to headquarters?" Like, "Nah, the road's like a mile away. I'll hitch." <laughs> and that's like the only. That's all she gets to do, really. And then uh, uh, they stop him from making more money, and they try to make some more money. And then there's a. F- then it turns out the bad guys like to go to this one cafe, so they go to that cafe. And the guy who runs the cafe is like, "I know those guys. They're in here all the time." And then the guys just show up, and there's a big fight in the cafe. The first radar men from the moon. Radar men <laughs> from the moon. There's a fight in a friggin' cafe. And then they gotta like, and oh, and then the bad guys bomb, like throw a nuclear bomb in a volcano. And boy, does that really become a topic of conversation at the office. <laughs> so they go back God. to the moon. God bless Republic. They go back to the moon so they can reuse a lot of footage. Episode 9 and especially episode 10 are cheap even by Republic standards. Because they go back <laughs> to the moon, they reuse a lot of footage, they uh, break back into the guy's, uh, the leader of the moon's, like, place so they can steal a ray gun and they can, like, use it for Earth or whatever. And then, um... And they end up, they end up using it to kill him at the end of yeah, the series. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end, end of, and then in, that's in episode nine. And then in episode ten, in episode ten, most of the episode is everyone sitting at a table at their lab while a guy we haven't seen in eight episodes comes in and says, so, what did I miss? And then there's a clip re- show! to recap everything. There's well, a know- clip show! Look, if it's a clip show. Can you imagine if Star Wars Episode Nine was a clip show? Wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't that have been just amazing? recapping everything? <laughs> it's like, well, gosh, this started long ago at, at a trade dispute. I know it sounds really boring. Yeah, and the first few episodes are going to be kind of dull, but but stick with me. It gets better. <laughs> My story gets better. Yeah, that would have been great. Well, but we, we both. Both you and I have talked about how television used to operate on an episodic basis, that if you missed it, you just missed that episode. Yeah. And there so, were occasionally recaps and clip shows made a lot more sense in that context where yeah. you could have. I, I missed best, the first couple of seasons. Yeah. I get to see some of the or stuff I missed. Yeah. You, you watched the whole season, but now it's been several months since you've seen some of your favorite episodes. So it's fun to have a little bit of a recap, a little bit of a nostalgia sure. trip for the, the year you just experienced. And yeah, serials, you don't know where the kids are coming in to see these things. Maybe they came in just the the previous episode. That's the whole point of the crawl at the beginning, though. Like, the whole point is we don't care. We we just move on. Yeah, it's true. We know the story, but we we gotta Uh, reuse this action. Gotta pad it out somehow. 
Actually, you don't have to. It's just a no, cheap device. No, <laughs> it's really, really bad. Um, and then in the end, they, uh, uh, the bad guy's trying to make more money, and they like um, follow them in their car to their cave base, and Commando Cody gets in a fight in a lab. And then a guy, like, I did like the bit where, like, one of the main Moon Men bad guys, like, falls into a big machine, and the big machine, like, shoots sparks everywhere and electrocutes him. Mm. And then it happens to Commando Cody, and that's the big, like, oh, no, he's dead. He's fine. In actuality, that's something that I was thinking about. Like, there's some... The cliffhangers in these Republic serials, and not obviously not all of them, I can't speak to all of them because I haven't seen every serial, but typically... Mm. What would happen is they would reach the end of the episode and then something bad would happen. Like a, the hero's car would fall off a cliff and explode. Mm-hmm. And then it would be like, don't miss next week when we're going to see the episode Murder Car, which oh, is but, actually an episode of But this. they'd rewind a few minutes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what happens is you would go back and see the next serial. And instead of just picking up right there, you go back and pick up to about a minute earlier when we set up how the car fell off a cliff. But now we see the couple of extra scenes... Where, oh, oh no, the car is on fire, jump! And then they jump, and then the car blows up. And we've all seen, I I hope, uh, one of the greatest stories ever told about toxic fandom, Misery. (laughs) In which uh, uh, Kathy Bates kidnaps her favorite author. A a very Stephen King-like author, curiously enough. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, And she gets him to write her fan fiction version so that it's official canon. And one of the things that she gets complains about in the movie, Kathy Bates gets this amazing monologue. Um, talks about seeing exactly this kind of thing, these old serials, and how she knows that that didn't happen. I saw last week, they didn't jump out of the cock-a-duty car. <laughs> so you can't do that. So you have to find another way to retcon what happened in the past. And retconning what happened in the past is something Republic did every single week, and mm-hmm. it's something Star Wars does a lot. We actually should probably address that, and I think it's interesting that that's ingrained in the DNA of Star Wars, where when you complain about something like, oh, remember how uh, towards the end of The Last Jedi we found out that Rey's parents were nobodies? And then it turns out we missed a scene in which Kylo Ren found out that they were not nobodies. Hmm. That's totally something Republic would have done. That's true. That's the totally kind of bullshit they would have pulled. And it was dissatisfying then, too. They're drawing... It's okay to retain the adventure and the broad characters and the, the action cliffhanger storytelling structure of old serials, but don't take the crap as well, please, Well, I mean, but when that, you're updating it. And that's weird, because that's something that George Lucas didn't really do. I mean, he kind of did mm. it with the Darth Vader thing, but that really wasn't what he was after. And I think it's interesting that, like... A lot of the people who are making the Star Wars movies now aren't influenced by the stuff George Lucas is influenced by. Mm. We've already talked about that, about how films like The Dirty Dozen inspired Rogue One when they didn't really inspire the original Star Wars. Mm. So it's interesting that like when you try to go back to that old feeling, they just comes across there's a different interpretation. People didn't encounter these types of serials when they were little kids. And when you're a kid, nostalgia kicks in like immediately and starts laying the foundation for later on when you're only going to remember the good stuff. Mm. So a lot of people are exposed to these kinds of movies later on when they're hyper aware of all the bad stuff too. And maybe they're not necessarily picking the right things to incorporate into Star Wars anymore. And I don't know. Sometimes I think about like, what is Star Wars? Mm. Like 
Is Star Wars just these characters? Because I don't think it is. For me, I think Star Wars is this sort of adventurous spirit of taking something from the past and reclaiming it and making it good again. Making it as good as it always felt like it should be in your head. And the stuff that made Star Wars Star Wars, all of that nostalgic stuff that George Lucas latched onto, we don't have nostalgia for that anymore. We have nostalgia for Star Wars itself. Yeah. And you can't keep eating that tail or you're going to start running out of inspiration. Well, I, I I would argue that they ran out of inspiration long ago. I think that started with uh, the the prequel films, where uh, you know b- people will argue with me on this point about how George Lucas actually did have a long game in mind, and he was going to go back and tell the story of Darth Vader, you know, as, or immediately after Return of the Jedi, and yeah. just for whatever reason that never happened until the late nineties. But when you sort of look at the way the fandom has operated, and I remember because I was there, uh, this importance of Darth Vader as a cultural figure was clearly the thing that inspired the prequel films. Oh, well, it's the story so of Darth was, Vader. It's the story of Anakin's father. Yeah. The st- or an- uh, the story of Luke Skywalker. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. A- Anakin Sorry, that's the- brain fart. Sorry. That story isn't necessary for Star Wars. It's not a big, important part of the universe. It's only important because Darth Vader is important to the Audience, not to the story. Well, I disagree with that. He betrayed the, uh, the mm. he betrayed the Republic and mm. got a whole bunch of Jedi killed and took they took over mm. the fucking galaxy. Well, no, that, I, that I, but I, that's something they retconned. That's something they made up after the fact. Man, the they Empire turned, took over. They turned out, they turned him into like as the films progressed, they turned him into a bigger and bigger villain, and he became more and more important uh, a piece to the Star Wars universe. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with how you're presenting like, it. But like yeah, you, okay. you could have had the Empire Strikes Back without Darth Vader. True. The last time we saw him, he's just sort of flying off into space. He could have just blown up and have died. Yeah, I actually, I remember when yeah. the first time I saw it, I was like, I assumed he died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I, it's weird that I actually, I'd actually seen Empire already, but when I saw Star Wars, I'm just like, it looks like he died. I don't know. Yeah, and, we, and instead of Darth Vader, you have like a, a younger, more lithe, just as threatening Emperor. Uh huh. And now he's the bad guy, and that's yeah. that's fine too. That well, that would function just as well. Yeah. Multiple Jedi Knights. That would also be fine. And then he could say, yeah. "I, or, I, or Sith yeah. Lords." You know what I mean? And then he could say something like, "I'm I'm your real father. Or I'm the one who actually killed your father." And he could still have that connection. It'd be fine. Uh, yeah, all of that still. Well, works. there's a lot so, of different ways Star Wars could have worked, but. <laughs> I, I understand that, but I think you know you're talking about Star Wars running out of inspiration because it's eating own tail. That started with the Phantom Menace. I don't know if that's it entirely st- it started true. To feed think... on its own nostalgia. Those okay, were those were nostalgia pieces. Those prequel films. I, I don't think George Lucas has nostalgia for his own movies, but I do believe he was going back to his own well. Yeah. But what I'm trying to think of like what are the Star Warses of today, and I think about how when George Lucas wanted to make Star Wars, his original inclination was to make Flash Gordon. Yeah. And to make Flash Gordon his way, his cool way, which mm. probably have been a lot like Star Wars and probably would have been a big hit. In fact, Flash Gordon was a hit, wasn't it? Uh, the, the, movie, the movie they eventually made? It wasn't nearly Star Wars. And I think, in fact, I think it was considered a bit of a dud, but um, it's popular now and it's but, very, very good. I, I dig the hell out of that. Flash I like Gordon that movie, movie too. Yeah. But in any case, it's not. It's definitely not what George Lucas would have done with it. It's way campier mm. than what George Lucas would have done, I'm sure. Um but I think about like, okay, so I'm going to take this thing I liked as a kid, and we're going to make it cool again, I'm going to make it contemporary. Mm-hmm. And I think about the kind of people who are doing stuff like that today. Yeah. It's actually not Star Wars. Star Wars is doing, like, it's just kind of keeping the franchise alive, sometimes very well, sometimes not very mm-hmm. well. The stuff I'm thinking of that is feels like Star Wars to me is something like she Like Noel mm-hmm. Stevenson's like, new version of she where okay. it's so much better than the original she 
<laughs> and, but it's got all of the elements of the original Shira, but it's just we only picked out the stuff that we remember really well and the stuff that really worked, and then we're gonna sort That's of right. heighten put, the put human some drama, real, real character, and, into yeah. This so the new Shira, it feels so much like Star Wars, except it's not Star Wars, which it shouldn't be. I think every, I think every, like, if to be a Star Wars, it can't be some based on something that's currently popular. Mm. Because Star Wars wasn't based on something that was currently popular. No one was no. talking about how much, like, they really, really wanted to go back to, like, Republic serial type storytelling. Star Wars was considered a gamble because that was weird and people didn't have a lot of nostalgia for it. It was something that George Lucas saw mm-hmm. and really was really passionate about. Well, so and, something and like My Little Pony Friendship is Magic feels like Star Wars to me. Because we're <laughs> going to take this old My Little Pony show and that show sucked. And we're going to boost the characters and make it its own thing. And yeah, it's not action-packed, but it's got that same vibe. We're going to take this thing that wasn't cool and we're going to make it cool. And The Rocketeer is the same way. The comic book series, which is mm-hmm. heavily inspired by stuff like Commando Cody, very specifically this kind of thing. Um, ended up being a really awesome new creation. And The Rocketeer, first off, that movie is fucking great. Like, it still holds up. Like, the special effects are really good. The characters are really good. The action is really good. The story's simple, but very effective. That's a great movie. And if we had to get through Radar Men from the Moon, which is not the worst thing I've ever seen, but really is very cheap and dull, to get the Rocketeer, thank you, Radar Men <laughs> from the Moon. Thank you. Mm. Thank you very much. Well, I think all of this is a, a very broad way of admitting uh, that what we like as kids is crap. Uh, I don't know if I go that far, it's, but it's it, got it crappiness feel, to it. It feels really important, but then you watch it, something like Radar Men from the Moon as an adult, and you realize, oh, I'd rather have Star Wars. I just don't think that's uniformly true. There's a lot of things we love as kids that are good. Hmm. Like, same people who were growing up with Radar Men from the Moon are probably also growing up with The Wizard of Oz, which is good. Uh, well, yeah. So, that's kind of a harsh thing to say, but... I think it's important to, when we look at our nostalgia, not to just keep the things we liked as a kid alive, but to evolve them and move forward. Yeah. And mm-hmm. to add new elements and add new perspectives and add new voices and add uh, and make them more inclusive and make them more modern because that's how these things evolve and change and improve over time. So mm-hmm. Red or Man from the Moon, as itself, not that great. But it inspired some ideas uh, for uh, Star Wars. It inspired the character of Commander Cody, who a lot of people really enjoyed in um, uh, the the Star Wars Clone Wars series. Um, he's got a smaller role in Revenge of the Sith, but the Clone Wars he's a big deal. Um, he's got a, he's got a jetpack too. Uh, and uh, and yeah, and we got the Rocketeer out of it, and Flash Gordon gave us Star Wars, and Flash Gordon's cool on its own. But I digress. It's it's the history, it's the context, and I think that's something that's really, really exciting, and I think sometimes when you watch something old like this, and I've seen the MST3K episodes that used Radar Men from the Moon. Mm. They're funny. Oh, yeah. I had a really good time watching them, but you know what MST3K did? Kept this thing alive. Kept these things, like, accessible and, yeah, well, and available for people to explore with, you know, some some satire, some some jesting involved, but... Access to this was granted, and it made it contemporary. It made Commando Cody and all those movies from the 50s, and you can argue that they're a little mean-spirited about the humor, or not. But, again, the MST3K is another one, where it took something old, made it feel contemporary, made it feel fresh, made it fun, and kept these things alive in a fun way. Okay. 
I don't know. I'm just thinking the, about it. Uh, it, it. You're right. Just I'm wondering if Radar Men from the Moon deserves to be kept alive. I think it all deserves so, to be kept alive. It's just mm. a matter of does it deserve to be at the forefront? So and I, no, this is not very good. Sort of way. And, uh, yeah, this should be accessible. People should always be able to see this if they want. I think the, it's fun. I think it survives, but you know, you're you're ignoring the idea of kitsch, which isn't really hip right now. The mm. the idea that a lot of these things are surviving because they're bad, and we're kind of making fun of our own culture in a lot of ways, which is what Mr. Science Theater was doing. Hmm. And you see something like Radar Men from the Moon. You see the, the the image of Commando Cody wearing the backpack and that goofy helmet uh, in you know, montages of you know public domain crap. Yeah. Or uh, you know, you go into a, a kitsch 1950s retro diner, and there's going to be a big poster of this on the wall because what a silly image that is. Uh, I recall seeing the Lords of Salem and Commando Cody showed up in uh, the main character's bathroom. Yeah. It was like this kind of modern art Andy Warhol rendition, and she started to have this weird satanic episode, and Commando Cody started bleeding from the face. That's cool. So we've been tearing this thing down ever since it came out, kind of pointing out that this is not retro cool. This is not something that's ripe for rediscovery. This is something that we took a lot of inspiration from, but we can acknowledge is not good. That's a perspective, too. Okay. <laughs> um, and he says, I'm perfectly, listen, I'm not one of those critics who thinks that you're not allowed to be negative or mm. that negativity has no place. I think uh, criticism is criticism. We need to be able to say what's negative. And I'll tell you this right mm. now. Again, Commando Cody is slow, cheap, and stupid. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Yep. <laughs> it's, that's the end all be all of that. It's it's not even temp- uh, terribly entertaining. Not especially, I mean, some episodes some... are better than others, but like it's not very good. Mm. But it's an interesting chapter of history. It is mm. interesting how this cheap, thrown together serial film that probably they, you know, they made their money on. There was a spinoff serial, there was actually a short lived TV series in the 1950s for Commando Cody. But they probably thought no one would give a shit in mm. 10 years. There's a reason this thing fell into public domain. Nobody bothered to re-register it. And look what happened. It ended up having a big influence on Star Wars, had a big influence on the Rocketeer. It actually had an impact. So yeah, keep the history alive, even if you think it's bad. Maybe in the future, people won't think it's bad. People will look back on something and say, you know what? This is interesting, actually, in a way that we hadn't suspected. You never know. A lot of things just all of a sudden become relevant in ways you never could uh, mm-hmm. expect. A lot of relevant things fall into deep irrelevancy. Yeah. Like, completely, people are just, like, ready to be done with it. We don't care anymore. Let's move on. And that's okay, too. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we talk about on this podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Episode Zero. That is Radar Men from the Moon. Once again, if you're coming in late, Commander Cody uh, went to the moon, stole a laser, fought the bad guys in a lab a couple of times, and then everything turned out fine. And blew up Retic. Next time on Episode Zero, uh, we, we're going to go from uh, 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 like really, really cheap to really, really major Hollywood production. Uh, once again, we're going to talk about John Ford's The Searchers. Uh, a Western that is considered incredibly important and influential in a wide variety of ways. It's also very problematic in a lot of ways, and we're going to talk about that, too. So stick around for that. It's going to be an interesting episode. I haven't revisited that movie in, God, at least 15 years. I haven't seen it since college, and I remember hating it in college. So I've I'm never interested to revisit I've it. I've never been a huge fan. I respect the craft, but it's going to be interesting to sort of, like, I've changed as a person. The world has changed. Cinema has changed. Mm. Let's see how The Searchers holds up. It's been a while since I revisited it. It should be interesting. Um, so that'll come up next time on Episode Zero. Uh, once again, we have a ton of other shows here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. If you missed it, we have a new show uh, up right now. 
probably only going to be monthly just because um, the way it's constructed. But we're doing mm. a show called My Dinner with My Dinner with Andre, in which we're uh, inviting, nay, begging uh, a lot of the people that we know uh, to watch My Dinner with Andre, record an hour-long podcast about it, and we present it here on the show mm. uh, just so we can get like this interesting experiment of seeing a million different perspectives on one film. Yeah, uh, and it's a film that invites a lot of different uh, interpretation and conversation because it's a very philosophical film and uh, it's fun. So uh, that first episode is up. It's with Gray Drake and Steve Gelder, and uh, we hope you enjoy that. Also, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/Critically Acclaimed Network, where we have a ton of exclusive content. We have podcasts dedicated to Star Trek, the Oscars, Disney Plus, Firefly, other things as well. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, who contributes in particular. And uh, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. You can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your letter on our show. We've got mail. And that is it, I think. That's it. Live long and prosper. May the force shut up. (laughs) 